I would like to extend a welcome to each one here. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. And as I thought about what to say, I have my message, and yet a lot of things just running through my mind with the Sunday school lesson. And, and I'll just give you one of them real quick. When uh, I wasn't really paying attention, and somebody was reading, and all of a sudden, uh, like, what word was that? And it says in verse 17, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight. Of course, with our, what I shared two weeks ago, uh, little and big, we had, you know, studying pride. And I think Saul was little at one time. And it says here, Samuel says, when thou wast little. But he wasn't as, as time went on. And just to see that happening in my own life, probably one of the things that hits me the most is how can I stand before you all this morning in a spirit of humbleness? Because I want to look good up here. I want all of you to think I'm the best preacher around. Why are we tempted with those things? Where do they come from? And This week especially was just one of various situations where it comes into my mind. Am I handling this right? Just simple things of we were cutting firewood for a school sale and... Uh, can I work as hard as the other guy beside me? And uh, did we do more than them over there? And just things that distract us in our life. Why do why why does those things come up? And of course, uh, uh, we had a business meeting with a company with uh, with chickens, and you know they did a big expansion, and just the uh, glory, if you want to say, it goes with that of how well a business is doing and. And he's a, a Bible-believing Christian, and he, he does give God the honor and glory, and I appreciate that of him. But you still get sidetracked, you know, we're doing better than other companies, or we're better producers. And Louie would know that he can grow better turkeys than the other turkey farmer. And just all of you in your work, you, you, you struggle with that. And this week, it, it was slowly coming to whom as I allow it to come to whom and, and really think and ponder what do I do in these and what are my thoughts and my thinking. But I welcome all the visitors and I don't know if everyone was here two weeks ago when I uh, we talked about pride but I gave you a question, half a question, it's kind of how I left it was to give you an introduction to what I wanted to preach about this morning and so how many of you are thinking what I'm going to talk about? You all remember, or do you just you walk out the door and you forget what happened to church, or how does it go for you? But I didn't forget. Uh, the question was, how do I keep pride out of my life? And so I appreciated prayers and interest on any of you that you may have. I just, it came right down to my text, and it's just very full of things. And I don't know, the clock always goes faster than me, I guess. But we're going to look at humility this morning. And one thing I learned as I 
try to teach and share is I always enjoy looking at scripture and last time I looked at a lot of verses on pride well there's a lot of verses on humility and I'm not going to do that in some ways it robs time of of trying to understand scripture but I always enjoy seeing what scripture says but today we're not going to go looking for all the humilities in the Bible we're going to have our text out of Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11 and it really covers most of the other subjects that you would find on humility, other verses in the, in the Bible. So I started out, how do I keep pride out of my life? And I made a little joke of it here. I said, the answer is simple, duh. Just be humble. Just, just don't, don't go there. Just, just be a humble person and, and pride won't come into your life. That's easier said than done. What is it to be humble? And how do you attain it? We run in, right away we run into the problem of if you strive to be humble, you're not going to get there. You won't get there if you say, I need to be a humble person. I need to do this and this and this. What you're basing it on isn't going to be the right thing. And you'll never get to be a humble person. So this morning, I, I titled it, Humility, the Way of Christ. And somehow, you have to get off of yourself. You have to remove self and get on to something else, something different than yourself. And as a result, I might have it later, humility becomes part of your life and your character without you realizing it. It's, if you want to say, a byproduct of you being a good Christian. So let's look at our text. It's familiar, but a lot of things I learned... I. I you know, you read this, even memorizing it growing up, or different parts you know of it so well. And it really came, some things just come to, come to light for me. So let's read Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're just going to jump right into these verses, pretty well go down through it verse by verse, and try to explain a little bit what I learned as I studied. Verse 1, as we start, <clears throat> has the word therefore in, it, it refers back, and I thought, well, I'll just we'll just stay with uh, you know chapter 2 here, but if you look at it, verse 1 has four different 
uh, phrases that begin with the word if, and that is kind of backing up to what it was. So you could put in there, instead of if as a question of is this correct or not, all the research and what I find is that this could be translated, instead of using the word if, you could put since in there. And Paul was stating that uh, facts of the Philippians, what they were doing, and so there's no doubt that the people were doing this in verse 1. He's simply referring back to, and, and if you read in chapter 1, in verse 5, he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I should have read verse 4. Actually, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. For you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That word fellowship is usually a fellowship you think of like one to another in fellowship. But not in this case. It's more a partnership or a participation. So the Philippians were jumping right in with Paul, what he was doing. And he says in verse 2, or in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, since you had this and this and this and this, because he knew what had taken place earlier on. And as I start in on this, I, I might get my notes mixed up. But in our church here, you can almost say, and I trust that we can, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, and since there is fellowship of the Spirit, and if any bowels and mercies, I failed to go down through a little bit what these mean. So com consolation in Christ is, is basically encouragement in Christ. And it's the risen Christ that all of you have experienced. Comfort of love is continuing the, the, the comfort that you felt of God's love being shown then to the others around. The, the, the whole circle of maybe of, the, of love, the comfort of love that we have. <clears throat> Fellowship of the Spirit is just continues with that. Fellowship with God, and then we have fellowship with each other. Bowels and mercies is one of those words that you wonder, why does the Bible use such funny or odd language? But to, for those of you that hunt deer over there, it's your guts. It's when you, when you dig out that innards of a person. Uh, that is where these things are coming from. The, the way on the inside is where these, these bowels, like it uses here, of love and doesn't say love here, but you see in others, mercy, like things that are coming out from deep inside you. And Paul just states that, that, that you have those things. And could we say we have those here at church? And I feel that we do. Not that we attained anything, but, and in my proudness, I would say we're off to a good start. What a great thing to say on a message of humility, but if all of you could grasp the, the foundation that we have as we meet together, genuine in these four areas of what is stated here in verse 1. I kind of pump you up a little bit to get into verse 2, because the problem hits in verse 2. It says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
and I should say Paul was kind of doing that maybe. He was just, just stating things, and, and I, I wish I could just say it as clear as what's in my mind, but I trust you can understand what's shared. But Paul says, you did almost good enough. You did all those four things in the first verse, and if you really want to top it off and get to 100%, he says, fulfill ye my joy. Make it totally full that you're doing it, everything good. He says that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He gives four things again there, and they're basically what they say. Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. But he continues to lead into what he's getting at. Uh, this verse 2 in the NIV says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, in one, being one in spirit and purpose. Just the fact that he hints about this, it says, make my joy complete by being these, says that there was a problem. And the problem is in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And that first part of the verse, I looked in my notes and I referenced that the last time when I in the other sermon on pride but it didn't go with the second part so here's the second part but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves so lowliness of mind can we grasp what that is i think we can it's pretty self-explanatory when you have a humbled mind and having a modest opinion of oneself ephesians 4 2 says with all lowliness and meekness and the words are similar there how you have a low mind. And when the Sunday school lesson said when he was of littleness, that was where Saul was at one point. And can we try to maintain that? It's a good phrase or uh, insert somewhere I ran along in studying, and I, I flagged it and I wrote it on here. The word indicates the recognition of not only one's insufficiency, but the powerful sufficiency of God. And that's taking yourself... And just getting away from that and moving to something else. So when you, lowliness of mind would be recognizing not only your insufficiency, that you can't do everything, but recognizing that God is, he is powerful and he can be sufficient in all things. It, it just gets things in perspective a little better. Now, the word esteem so the question comes down to some of these words is, what does this really mean when it says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves? And I think there's a lot of ways you could take this. And I think that most of them are probably correct. If you have the goal and purpose of trying to be and do and relate to others the way God would, esteem basically is to consider to count, to think, or even judge carefully. And I jump ahead a little bit, and it's the same as the word thought in verse 6, which we'll get there a little bit later. But that's what we do. We, we, we consider others, or we think of others, or we count others, or even judge others. Uh, but here it says, better than themselves. So we're supposed to let each esteem other better than themselves. The word better, I thought, well, what is better? How are you going to arrange this? And better is simply higher. 
and it means more important or a superior. And if I understand this right, we should esteem or count or think everybody else to be more important or superior to yourself. So how do you how do you view others? That is one that I've maybe mentioned. Uh, I know it goes way back to instruction class, and it's it's does good for all of us to think about how we view other people, because it really reveals what you're doing. There's a story of a, I guess a Bible college. I tried to piece it together. I, I pulled it out of my memory, and the way you second time you tell a story just doesn't have the same emphasis as the way you read it but you can get the concept and all I want to do is give you the concept story of a Bible college where the student was complaining to the president that the restrooms are not very clean that they should get a janitor sometime later the same student to his shame found the president cleaning the restroom after the student apologized the president said that they just didn't have enough money to hire a janitor. And I think sometimes I'm the student. I go around, why can't they do that? Why can't they, you know, make this stuff happen? What attitude did that student have? Why couldn't he done it himself? He didn't think that far. He was just... Lack of better words, he wasn't with it. And I think sometimes I'm just not with it. I, I, I just struggle to see where I can't reach into the situation right or to, like we say, remove yourself to, to, so you can get somewhere. I just remembered that as I was studying how the humility of a president is the second part of it, doing a low job we would say of of helping out in that way here's another hard one to comprehend I might have to read it twice but this whole idea of viewing each other hopefully I can read it the way you understand it and if you can get this I think it's correct I, I don't know where it came from but have always a humbling view of yourself and this will lead you to prefer others to yourself or others better than yourself. For, as you know, your own secret defects that you have. Charity or love will lead you to suppose that your brethren are more holy and more devoted to God than you are. They will think the same of you their secret defects being only known to them. So if you can sort your way through that, to me it comes back to let each esteem other better than themselves. I thought that really summarized it pretty good. Okay, enough on verse 3. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is another one you can take a lot of ways. Uh, mind your own business. You don't have any right. Uh, he can bear his own burden. That verse can tie in. Uh, 
we're supposed to share burdens, uh, just kind of a mix. I just want to keep it pretty basic and simple and apply it only to humility this morning. And that's the way the NIV reads it. And it says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I want to keep it right there. I'm not going to branch out into a whole lot. I want to simply use that word interest of each of us have something we're interested in doing and somebody else has something uh, they might be interested in doing. If you take this verse, it says, look not just on your own interests, but every man also on the interests of others. And this gets to be the very practical, just day-to-day things of even saying maybe the way I prefer to do things. But you kind of know what interests other people. If you start looking and get away from yourself, you'll soon know what other people like or what they enjoy. And it's another great way of getting uh, out of yourself groove or mode that you get in is to look at the interests of other people and to prefer that. So I think that's, you know, I'm just going to let that about verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Uh, maybe could be a lot spoken, but that's that's the part I wanted to, to have on verse 4. So verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I went, I wrestled with it a little bit. Is this saying that Paul, he stated these things and said, let this mind be in you? Or is he saying, let this mind be in you, what's following? And I, I see there's a colon after Jesus Christ. So let this, mind be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, colon. So I think it's from there following. But the, the things that Paul gave... I think we're good observations on his part of how Christ wants us to, to live and how the mind of Christ would be. So I, everything kind of fits together. But verse 5 says, let this mind be in you. This mind, the word mind could be put uh, attitude in there. Let this attitude or this way of thinking be put in here of how Christ is. So let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're ready for this attitude or this way of thinking, these are the hard verses. 6. Seven, eight, and even in studying, there's commentaries. Is a, this is a difficult word? How do we handle this? So here we go. This is what I have anyway. Verse six: Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Being in the form of God is one of those difficult words because how does God be God up in heaven and then His Son Jesus Christ up in heaven and come? As the form, how does it say? Who in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Which, at this verse yet, we would say they're all still in heaven. The form of God simply is... I was thinking I had it in my notes here. Maybe I left it go. No, I do. Difficult word. The, the nature or the essence... Uh, actually subsisting in an individual. So you, you get into, um, you know, the mixing the spiritual and the physical at the same time. And so it's not too bad to just say the form of God. It wasn't God himself. It wasn't a removed form that didn't have anything to do with God or just the image of God. There was a lot back and forth in that. 
But anyway, who, Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought, that's the same as that word esteem, back in verse 3, remember? He, God was sitting there going, I can consider this, I can think of this, I can even judge this. I'm getting too many big words mixed up. That he's not going to think it robbery to be equal with God. Now let's explain that. The word robbery is a good way of summarizing it, but the, the word is, is prize. Like a, you win a prize. When you, when you accomplish something, you get a prize. And the robbers always go for a prize. They want that, that good thing. So if I could relate this to it, Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not think it was a prize to be equal with God. He didn't think it was something to be attained. I, yep, I'm right here with God. If I want to say it, didn't even cross his mind. And when I see an example like that of how can he even be like that where it doesn't even cross his mind that he's going to be, yep, I'm right up here. But he thought it not robbery. Robbery is basically he counted it not a prize that he was on an equality with God. And I repeat a little bit how this whole first part would be. Who, though he was subsisting in the essential form of God, did not regard his being as an equality of glory and majesty with God as a prize and a treasure to be held fast. Now this brought up new questions for me. Do you think Jesus would have came to earth and gave his life for us and not wanted to be able to return to his place of glory? I always had the picture that God just did his thing. Joop, joop, joop. He did this, this, this. He did the work of the Father and went back to heaven. And it's, it might be a theor th theoretical or a abstract. Maybe it doesn't have an answer. But as you think of it, there's a possibility there that Jesus would have done his work and stopped with that. And did not take any glory or any, we'll get into the exalting part later. I'll rephrase that in another one, the question where, did Jesus have his sights, <clears throat> in this whole mission that Jesus had, did he have his sights on the glory and the honor of being a resurrected Christ and getting all the attention that heaven could give him? Was that things that was gone through Christ's mind when he was here on earth? Because verse 7, let's keep going here. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Just a little bit here on made himself of no reputation. If you don't know what that means, it basically means he emptied himself of what he had. He was kind of going to become a nobody. He chose to do that. And as that place where he was, that included removing or laying aside all the glory that he had in heaven as God, the Son in heaven, chose to lay all that and empty himself of all that and come down to earth. And then the last part of the verse says about took upon him the form of a servant. The difficulty of it saying 
who being in the form of God can also be the form of a servant. It's the same thing, and it's hard to get your mind wrapped around it. And it doesn't say exactly like this is what they are. It, it uses the word form to kind of give that uh, openness to the spiritual things of who God is and how it can be trans uh, and, and brought down to a person on earth. Form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Just reinstates his image here on earth of how he was. He was made in the likeness of men. He appeared as you and I in, in flesh and blood and arms and a, a, the human body. And the word servant in verse 7 could be used as a slave. You could put slave in there. I know servant is a nicer way of saying it, but do you know a slave that isn't a servant? They're just serving others. They might be under the gun or under the whip or whatever strictness they are, but that person as a slave basically serves other people. And I don't want to say Jesus was a slave when he came here on earth. The Bible uses the word servant, but that, that's the idea you get behind it. Um, given the responsibility to go do this, and he was willing to serve in that way. In verse 8, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. My notes don't say it, but I thought that was a really good verse for Christmas. Next time Christmas comes around. Unless I'm goofing up here, but. He found himself as a man. He knew what was going on, but the next thing he knew, he was among us here on earth as a man. And now, don't you think that was enough of a job to transition from glory down to heaven? On top of this, he humbles himself and became obedient unto the death, unto death, even the death of the cross. And I put down here, humbled means to make low, to humble. Uh, you can't, after a while, you run out of things to try to describe a word. But here again, this could be a little bit uh, the theology on my part, but Christ humbled himself, I think, to all that was possible. And that included coming to glory, dying on the cross, and for any of you, I would like to know where they say Jesus went after he died on the cross. Where did his spirit go? I have down here the depths of hell. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly on all that. But can you go any more than that? Leave glory, become a man, die the worst that any human would want here, and go to a place that absolutely nobody would even desire. Uh, we don't even comprehend eternity, but how a person could, could want to experience something like that. And yet, that's what happened. <clears throat> so we move into verse 9. As we read it, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every other name. Which is above every name. And this is the... This is the things that run through my mind of the things we do here on earth are we really supposed to receive any honor and glory for no 
But do me and you, do I, I hope that in heaven God's going to give me a little bit of, hey, this man over here, he did something good. Uh, you remember on earth? Well, maybe you don't, but he uh, did this and this. I just, in my selfish human mind, want to think that God's going to do that to me if I've done anything like that. And yet, do we see Jesus going, he wouldn't care about that. He did his work, and if he, I don't want to say, would have stayed in hell, if that's where he was, he would have been okay with that and not been moping and groping about where he's at. I, I can't quite understand the mind of Christ, but I at least am attempting to, and you, and you in your own mind can too, but it's a way, humility, it's the way of Christ. It's the way that Jesus did. So, now what happens in, in 9 is God highly exalted him, and let me just keep jumping around here, but 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Do I have enough faith to think that God's going to exalt me someday, even though I don't see any of it here on earth? You might have given a lot of money. I'm just giving my story. i give you the real deal. That way you don't have to assume what for story is behind that. So at SMBI, they had a chorus. You were part of the chorus, the programs that they did. And they had prayer requests, testimonies before. And the, the girl uh, that was in chorus announced that she needed some money to um, get a plane ticket to head home. I don't know the situation real much. And I remember thinking there, oh, this would be interesting. Was, they needed $300 or something. So I went to the... I have to stop. I don't know why I have to tell stories about myself, but I guess I don't know you. I can't talk about other people. But. So I went to the secretary. I said, do uh, you know about this girl needing money? I said, here's some money. But I wanted to see what that girl's response would be. I, I didn't... Like, don't, don't mention me or say who it can. Just here, do it, you know, and get on with it. But I wanted to see what happened in course the next day when they give prayer requests and things happen. And you know what? How God rewarded me before that was is that girl didn't say a thing. She didn't say anything. And the next day, well, maybe today, maybe I'll hear a little bit. It kept going and kept going, and I thought, well, I guess i got to forget about this. Well, I should have right away from the beginning. Weeks later, we were on tour, and this little card came after I pretty well got over it, but she just wanted to thank this anonymous person for helping her out. Wasn't that nice, glamour, and glorious? <laughs> oh, I just, God will exalt you in due time, whether it's here on earth or whether it's in heaven. But as we look at 9, 10, and 11... I don't know if Jesus would have stopped where he was, but it says here that God highly exalted him. It's almost where God took over what he was doing. And he says, this Jesus Christ, because of what he did, I am giving him a name that's above every name. And verse 10 goes, And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. God is God, and he can establish that glory to who he wants. And he said, I'm picking Jesus Christ to be that one because of what he did. 
And verse 11 continues on and says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it just describes that, uh, what's it say? Highly exalted him. Uh, is I didn't really study that quite as much, or really look into that, but you just get the idea that it's way up there. You, you just can't go much more. That God just said, I'm going to give you the, the, the most exalted position that there is. And if you think about that position, it is the fact that every, just like it says, knee and tongue will come under the name of Jesus Christ. They will confess. Um, not sure if I get my words totally right. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what God did in a way of exalting. I see it as the way God rewarded Jesus for what he did. So I wasn't quite sure how to end all this. Um, and if you really want to know, I feel like I do need to be transparent up here. I, am, I remember being in meeting somewhere and the preacher spoke I think it was on purity or some issue maybe more youth minded and he just said if you have a desire for this or this or, or want to work at this area he said just just stand and I don't know if it was just come out to the center aisle or just stand where you were <clears throat> and I tried to decide how to do that on a message on humility, me looking like the good preacher up here. So I don't have much to tell you except go home and get on your knees before God and ask for humility. And I have a long ways to go in that too. There's verses that say about God that sees in closet comes to mind but in a private area he's going to reward you openly for it and so it's not that you stand to your feet or anything this morning and you know who does and who doesn't i just simply challenge you to go home and i'm looking at men because the women i think sort of get out of this <clears throat> not totally but Man, if you are wanting to serve Christ and do what you know is right, the women will just follow. And it's... Phil, I should make you stand up and say your man saying again that you said in Sunday school. It takes a man to repent. Well, I don't even remember how it went, but it's hard to repent. It's difficult. But that's what we all need. Here I am getting nervous and all worked up. I can't even keep my benediction out. I don't know as I have much else to say. Humility is a characteristic that cannot be sought for or earned in and of itself. But rather, it's a characteristic that develops by itself unknowingly when a person consistently seeks the mind of Christ and strives to do the will of the Father. 
just came to me now to to help practical ways of how to do this i i don't know and if you were here two weeks ago i i gave my kind of a definition of pride and i i, I said it's glory i don't know if you remember this glory going to the wrong place so if you're tempted to receive any earthly glory any praise whatever just take uh take a mirror you need God in your life, but just take a mirror and simply reflect it all back to God. It's so hard to do because we want a little bit of it. But when somebody tells you, good job, and I struggle with it, you know, you come back and you tell me, thanks for the message. What am I supposed to say? And the, the problem is, is I don't give God the glory. I say thank you, I kind of lack of words. But we just aren't quite willing to go the whole way and say, yeah, everything, everything is because of God. We just want a piece of the pie ourselves and we could learn how to learn, grow, maybe, I don't know the words, it, it just, keeps coming back to getting away from ourself, desiring and seeking the Lord, and even forgetting if you're going to be humble or not when you get to the end of your life. Like, don't even worry about it. This is like, and the verse that I, I, I wanted to give a, a message on, it was back a while about a uh, man looking <clears throat> with his plow. He's plowing ahead and he looks back. And I studied a little bit, and there's not a whole lot there to go off of. It's a different, if it's a different idea. But as you walk with Christ, don't look back. See how you're doing. How, how straight did you make the row? There's some ideas that can go with that. It's full steam ahead. No turning back. I think at this time we'll just kneel for prayer. And ask the 